0: Go ahead and turn in your bibles to the book of revelation chapter 14. folks we are going to cover some ground today and i know because of the way me and Peyton do a lot of times that scares you to death Uh, because you know that we can go long periods of time on a short piece of, of material but i promise we're going to get through this and we're going to get through it in a timely manner over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at this, this battle that's been raged. Uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this cosmic battle when the red dragon, Satan, is defeated by Christ. When he comes into the world, this, this, this great battle happens with Michael and his angels against the red dragon and his angels, and they are cast down to the earth where now they are inspiring hatred towards God' children. Which led to last week when Peyton talked about this earthly battle and this beast that comes up out of the sea and a beast that comes up out of the earth. And these are the the nations that become like beasts by exalting their power and their security as a false god. They demand allegiance to their system of things. And now that takes us into chapter 14. And the one who is finally going to set things right. He's going to bring down the beast. And it is none other than the lamb. And his army of 144,000, don't let that number scare you. These numbers are very symbolic in Revelation. It means complete, complete, complete. It is a completed number. And they go out into the nations. And they proclaim the gospel the eternal gospel of Christ. They call on everyone to repent. They call on people to worship the one and true God, the creator of all. And then there is this vision in chapter 14 as well. And it's of these two harvests. One is this grain harvest and it represents God bringing his people finally to himself. But there's also this harvest of grapes which represents evil humanity and they are cut down and they are put into the wine press and they are trampled what he's showing us here is that we as god's people he's writing to the seven churches and he's writing to us and he says we have two choices we can either be a follower of the one who wants to love us and save us and care for us Or we can decide that we're going the way of the beast, and we will have to deal with that, suffer its defeat. We need to understand that the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God are are very different. The kingdoms of the world, and you know this, and maybe you catch your own self in this if you're not careful. They trust in the power of military. They trust in their own might. There's trouble, what do we need? we need? We need more power. But the kingdom of God trusts in the power of the cross no matter what happens. The world seeks to control behavior. And, and we do it with laws, we do it with, with force, we do it in whatever way is possible. But the kingdom of God is about seeking to transform people. One... Is always advocating their nation and their people and their ideologies and their political agendas. But the kingdom of God is universal and it is centered on loving all humanity as God loves. One seeks the glory of self; the other one seeks the glory of God. And everything that we do, everything that we come across, we generally are in this battle between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Whether it be our finances and how we see those, whether it be our marriages, or whether it be uh, um, you know human life, or the definition of sex. Or whether it be how we see the needy. Even how we view our enemies. It's different. In chapters 15 and 16. We're we're given these visions of these seven bowls. They are God's divine judgments that are going to be poured out. There seems to be a connection between these, these bowls of judgment and wrath upon the wickedness of humanity and the bowls that contain uh, the prayers of the saints in fact it's the exact same word that's being used and what it's showing us is that the power of prayer and, and how they have cried out how long when O oh lord are you going to avenge the blood of your of your people on the earth until finally he takes the prayers of the saints and he casts them down. You see, our prayers have the power to influence the most powerful nations of the world. Do you realize that? We don't often think about it in those terms, but it makes a real difference because our prayers make a difference in this spiritual cosmic warfare that we are involved in in this day and time. Now, it may not be answered instantly. It may not be even answered the way you anticipate or the way you would like for it to be answered. But understand that in God's perfect timing, he will answer these prayers. He will bring down those who have done the dragon's bidding. This last week, another mass shooting. This one at Michigan State University. These, these types of things are evil, they're beastly, they're satanic. I, I don't know any other way to describe it. But the governor of, of Michigan has already come out, and you may have seen her statement. And she said, the time for thoughts and prayers are over. Okay, I understand the frustration. And it doesn't mean that government or people in authority shouldn't try to do something to, to stop preventing this and and maybe the fashion that it that has happened. But folks, this is a spiritual battle. We're not we're not wrestling against flesh and blood here. Gun laws they might help, but what we really need is is a worldwide revival. Some think that's happening right now at a college in Kentucky. I don't know. But, but the fact is, you know, we need people to repent and confess. But even if we do, evil is still going to run rampant in our world. God's judgments will be poured out. Satan and his army will not win. Even when evil seems to be winning, one of the things that Revelation tells us Is that God is still the king of the nations that really leads to this sixth bowl in fact look at chapter 16 let's do some reading because we're going to read something here that you're going to go oh I've heard of this the sixth angel poured out verse 12 of chapter 16 the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, folks, it's not flesh and blood. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of of God, the almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. And then we're given one of seven beatitudes. Did you know there were Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, this is one of seven. He says, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Mm, That word incites fear, doesn't it? It's actually uh, a place, Armageddon. It means the mountain of Megiddo. There is a a hill of Megiddo that it was a great city at one time, and it was um, it was it guarded this pass between the sea and the Jezreel Valley. Here's the Megiddo fortress, and this was became a very big battleground. Uh, Famous battles have been fought here. Uh, we know of one in Judges. We know of one in Second Kings. There are others in history that's not in Scripture that tells us. Even as late as World War I, did you know that? In World War I, the British general, Lord Allenby, uh, he won a battle there against the Turks. And there are some people believe that there's going to be a final literal battle that's on this battlefield. And then others, like me, we believe it's metaphorical. For one thing, all the nations of the earth being gathered in this little place here doesn't make a lot of sense. But either way, I believe it is a metaphor for God's final justice on evil. John is taking these images out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. And the battle, uh, God's battle with Gog. Who is Gog? God was Ezekiel's symbol for rebellious nations who have gathered before Yahweh in order to face God's justice, which comes in the seventh bowl here in Revelation. When finally, finally, evil is defeated once and for all. Now that sounds great, sounds like we could stop here, but, but John takes, takes us back a little bit. He wants to give us a little bit more. And here we learn about the fall of Babylon, starting in chapter 17, and it goes into the first part of chapter 19. John is shown the judgment of the notorious prostitute called Babylon. And if you read it, it's, it's really kind of wild. She's wearing the, you know, the garments of a queen, but she is drunk on the blood of the martyrs says that she is riding on this this scarlet beast with seven heads that are symbolic of, of the rebellious nations. If you read in the Old Testament, such as the book of Nahum and even in Isaiah, we learn that cities were sometimes, evil cities were called prostitutes, harlots. Some have believed that the development of civilization and nations would finally do away with evil has it it's like banning guns it sounds good I'm not even saying that legislators shouldn't do something I don't know I'm not a legislator I don't claim to be perfect in all of that but it's not going to stop evil and murder and violence that's been going on long before guns came on the scene And we find creative ways, even in our culture, to kill people. We fought a civil war to do away with slavery in our country. And you say, yes. But most people probably do not realize, based on the last statistics that I could find, from about a year or two ago, is that 41% of tra- tra- uh, sex trafficking cases and 20% of labor trafficking cases happen right here in the United States? We can see Florida, they've got their own issues. In the great advancement of mankind, we fought two world wars the wars to end all wars. And yet, now they say we may be on the verge of the Third World War. The answer is it more churches. Uh, Read your history. (laughs) That's why I love history. Read your history. Anytime you see wicked nations that are doing evil things to innocent people, you often find many church leaders who have shielded them. Folks, it's why Christian nationalism will never work. It can never work. Victory will not come by an improvement of our present situation. Jesus is not going to come one day to pick sides. He's not going to say, I'm going to be with the Republicans. I'm going to be with the Democrats. I'm going to be with this religious group or this religion. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming to take over. He's going to replace Babylon with his kingdom. And when that happens, it leads to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ah, you're going to want to read this, right? Uh, Chapter, uh, let's see, chapter 19. Let's start in verse 6. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. This is now the 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 prostitute's been brought down like the roar of many waters and like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Here's another beatitude. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God great celebration this marriage is going to happen and for us to really understand how this impacts our faith it's very important we understand the culture of marriage back in that day because there were three parts to it one was a marriage contract it was signed by the parents a dowry would have been paid either to the bride or to her parents they at that point become betrothed it's like engagement but it's actually much stronger and then he goes back to his father's house, and he begins to prepare a bridal chamber. And when that's happened, he then returns to get his bride, where she's waiting with her maidens. And they go into the streets, and there's this great celebration and parade. as They, they go to the groom's house, and the wedding takes place. And then comes the third phase, which is the marriage supper. And it might go on for days, sometimes weeks. Are you starting to connect the dots? The time that we're living in is the first phase of the marriage. The contract has been signed. The dowry has been paid by none other than the blood of the Lamb. The church is betrothed. We are committed to Christ. He goes and he prepares a place for us. And if he goes and prepares a place for us, he's going to come again. It's going to be a great day rejoicing that's followed by the marriage supper. It's like the parable of the wise virgins. We are to watch and wait for his coming and God promised this great banquet long ago, even in Isaiah. He says there's going to be a feast that will come. When he will destroy death, he will wipe away all tears and shame of his people. It promises a deep intimacy with this, with this banquet, especially if you understand the culture of the time. When Jesus was eating with sinners as he walked along, he was giving us a foretaste of what this is like. Finally, we have this intimacy with God that we, had nev- we haven't had since the garden, something we lost. But you see, Jesus became the second Adam, a new species of human that he is both flesh and divine and he's looking for a bride who's made up of the same and that folks is why the new birth is so important as we're born of water and the spirit of god after god judges creation he will reveal a new heaven and a new earth where the new adam and his bride will finally rest but I'm gonna let Peyton tell you about that next week in the conclusion. First, we need to talk about the final battle. This is the Armageddon. This is the sixth bowl, the final battle when all of the nations gather to oppose God. And he tells the story twice, but he tells it from two different angles. And one of those is the rider on the white horse. Okay, I want to do some more reading here. Go to verse 11. Says, uh, this is chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are like diadems and he has a name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which it is called, he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horse. From white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an, a, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the almighty on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lord so jesus comes and he, and he comes to us by way of this this uh on a white horse now what's interesting is it says that he is covered in blood and that's interesting because the war hasn't started it's not the blood of the enemies it's his own blood he's the slam uh, the slain lamb the war is over, really, folks, before it ever begins. And if you go here and you see this, he's coming with a white horse and, all, and God's people are coming on white horses. And, and you think, man, this is going to be a great battle. You're going to be really disappointed because, folks, it's over before it begins. The point is that Armageddon is not going to be a victory that's won on a literal battlefield. Jesus, who died for his enemies, has come to hold accountable those who have refused to repent of their ways, who have participated in the ruin of God's good world. There's a contrast that's being made. We just talked about the marriage feast of the Lamb. And now all of a sudden we hear about this great supper of God. And in it, it says, if you go, go on down, it talks about these birds feast on the carcasses of the wicked. Now, he's like, wow, we're in the world. Folks, that comes from Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 39. The angel is so sure of victory, he calls the vultures and he says, set your tables and get your plates. Because you're going to feast on the carcasses of the enemies of God. Now the second battle shows shows this final battle rather in a in a from a different angle and it's the defeat of Satan. If you go over to chapter 20 we're going to start reading <clears throat> in verse 7 and when the thousand years are ended and by the way don't get so scared about a thousand these words are I believe are highly symbolic. How many times have you told your kids, listen, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. In other words, a completed time. And when when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. To gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets were. And they, uh, false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it from his present earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Go on down to verse 15. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life. He is thrown into the lake of fire. The red dragon rallies the nations of the world to rebel against God's kingdom. Gog and Magog are named. Shouldn't surprise us. Guess where it comes from? Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38 and 39. They all face the consequence of eternal defeat. The forces of evil and everyone who are not a part of God's kingdom are thrown into the lake of fire. And I know it sounds harsh. And we say it doesn't sound like the God that I think of. But folks, he's simply giving them exactly what they wanted, which is a life without God. God is the one that gives us all good things. All good things come from him. When you remove God, there is nothing good. The point of the final battle is that Jesus will return as a victorious king to deal with evil, to vindicate his followers. There is no middle ground. There is no Switzerland in the battle of Armageddon. You are either on one side or you are on the other side. Either your name is in the book of life and you are saved and you have nothing to worry about or your name is not in the book of life. And you may be here, and you're like, well, how do I know? How how do I know? And we've seen it all the way through. We continue to read Scripture, and we see so many wonderful things. And, and, And the first thing, the very first thing is you've got to realize you're a sinner. You've got to realize you can't save yourself because if you try to save yourself, you will be judged based on your whole life work. Anything that you do that goes against the holiness of God, you will not live. Not eternally with God. It's, it, it's, it's trusting in Christ, the slaughtered lamb to save us, that we trust him, that he, he tries to show us the way and we live for him the best that we can. And we know that we're not going to be perfect, which is why we need him. We wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. It's a metaphor of purification from sin because of what Christ has done. In fact, if you want to know a little bit more about baptism, we'll get into it a little bit. I think this preacher will get down from here. In the Bible class, we we, we talk about a really interesting subject. I love the words of the prophet Elijah. He says this to his servant. It's just the two of them, and they're surrounded by the Syrian army. And he says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Folks, we live in a world where we see way too much and we see way too little. We see all the war and the hate, we see the strife, the evil, the sin, the bitterness death but don't give up because those who are with us are more than those who are with them by the way the very next verse says then Elisha prayed and said oh lord please open his eyes that he may see so the lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha it's the angelic army we're not battling against flesh and blood, folks. There's a spiritual battle that is being raid, waged. And even though we see all of these horrible things, the book of Revelation has, has given so that we could see the end of evil. A day when the wicked beast will be given their death blow. Good triumphs over Satan. And evil let's pray father we come to you this day and we ask you to to be with us in the spiritual warfare that we're involved in father we see all the terrible things just in the news this past week whether it be mass shootings or people who are grieving or those that we know of that have uh, just been dealt some kind of blow in their life and Father, I just pray that you continue to give us faith. Father, continue to help build our faith. Help us as a family here at this church to encourage one another in your Son. Father, we just, we thank you. We thank you for sending your Son, the slaughtered lamb, who stands resurrected and ascended beside you. And Father, we say as the words of the end of this book, Lord, come quickly. But Father, until then, we just thank you for the blessings that you give us. Father, I pray for those who are going through a hard time right now. Father, just give them faith. Help them to not give up. Help them to see the end.